Hello, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, a show created by an anxiety specialist and neuroscientist, me, that offers unique, practical, and actionable advice to help you understand what anxiety truly is and exactly what you can do to empower yourself to resolve it. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Kennedy, an MD who suffered with crippling anxiety for 30-plus years, and traditional therapy from psychiatrists and psychologists really didn't help me feel better. And I also didn't like being on psych meds. In 2013, after burning out and leaving medical practice, I came to the conclusion that if I was ever going to heal my anxiety, I would have to do it myself. And that's exactly what I did, drawing from experiences with psychedelics and holistic healing and combining those modalities with my scientific academic background in medicine, neuroscience, and developmental psychology. Here on the Anxiety Arcs podcast, I offer a distinctly non-traditional and non-medical approach to understanding and healing anxiety. So despite the fact I'm trained as a physician, in no way is what I say and suggest to be construed as medical advice because none of the ways I use to resolve anxiety has anything to do with traditional allopathic medicine. From my own healing, I've created a distinctly non-traditional understanding and approach that helps thousands of people from all over the world understand and relieve their chronic anxiety. So if you're ready, let's get into today's episode. Here we are, another episode of the Anxiety Rx podcast. As you know by now, I am your host, Dr. Russ Kennedy, a medical doctor and neuroscientist who suffered, 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 suffered crippling anxiety for many years, thought it was a life sentence, didn't think I could ever escape until I hit my 50s and then I did LSD and ayahuasca and I found that the anxiety that I thought was in my mind was actually in my body. It was a purple, hot, crystalline, sharp pressure and pain in my solar plexus and it pushed up against my heart and pushed back into my spine. And I thank LSD to this day for that understanding because I was spending thousands of dollars on cognitive therapy, every type of therapy really, and nothing seemed to really help me. I mean, it would help in the short term. CBT helped a little bit in the short term, but didn't really do much in the long term. And a lot of the data show that too, that after a while, CBT just kind of kind of wears off because I believe that that old ego program that we had as children, that kind of repetition compulsion, that seductive influence that we have as children to recapitulate these circumstances of our childhood in our adulthood takes us over and just keeps pulling us back to that old pattern. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about childhood. Now, you guys who've read my book or listened to my podcast know that I love acronyms. It's how I got through medical school, using acronyms. And I have an acronym for connecting with the younger version of you, your inner child, if you want to call it your inner child. I know a lot of people really get upset at that term inner child because it sounds so woo. And sometimes I, I, you know, it, it bothers me a little bit too. It does sound kind of woo. But I find the people that are most upset by the inner child term are the people with the most inner child wounding. So it's kind of a beacon for that. You know, if someone says, I hate that term inner child, it's like, ah, oh, I can pretty much guarantee you you've got some inner child wounds in there. So the acronym I have for this 
connection with your younger self, connection with the child in you, inner child, younger self, whatever, whatever term you want to use is should, because we should connect with the younger version of ourselves. Because if we don't, excuse me, we're going to be anxious forever. It will be, anxiety will be a life sentence if you don't connect with that wounded younger version of you. And sometimes people have severe emotional, physical, sexual abuse, and you need some help for that. Like we can't just process this on our own. So if this is triggering, you know, consider getting somebody who knows what they're doing, specifically someone who's familiar with somatic healing, somatic experiencing, or maybe something like internal family systems, something other than just cognitive therapy. I'm not against cognitive therapy. I think it's very helpful in a lot of ways, but I don't think it's going to heal you. I think it'll help you cope, but it's not going to heal you. It's it's like throwing you a life preserver in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, you're not going to drown, but you're still in the middle of the freaking ocean. So today I want to talk about should. So it stands for see, hear, open, understand, love, and defend. That's what should stands for. You should connect with your younger self if you want to heal from anxiety, depression, OCD, whatever it is. Because all of these things typically start from childhood, from development. They're developmental traumas. Now, there are some things that start later on, but typically these things, OCD, anxiety, depression, all this stuff starts in childhood, starts in your development. And like I said last time, you know, your brainstem, the part of your body, the brain that controls your body, develops first. And then the emotional brain kind of develops like a helmet on top of that. And then the cognitive brain develops like kind of a helmet on top of that. So if your brainstem is developing in stress, if your mother's really stressed and, you know, while you're being carried in your mother's womb or uterus, as we like to call it in medicine, while you're being carried, if you're stressed, you're brainstem develops in this atmosphere of cortisol and stress and it develops this sort of tendency towards stress, tendency towards fear. And if your brainstem develops in fear, your emotional brain is going to develop in fear on top of that. And then your cognitive brain is going to develop in fear. So you kind of develop this sense of that the world is an unsafe place and the world is fearful and it develops a certain amount of sensitivity in you as well. So you're sensitive to stimuli that aren't pleasant, that are potentially fearful. So when we get this development type in our brain, we see the world through the eyes of fear, through the eyes of protection. And a lot of us, I think, were born this way. A lot of us were born with with at least the underpinnings of anxiety. There's other genetic influences. There's, of course, environmental influences. But in general, you know, we're kind of born at a certain level of sensitivity. And I think that if your parents are stressed while they're gestating you, the chances that you'll be stressed too are fairly high. So here's what should stands for. Stands for for see, hear, open to, understand, love, and defend. So see. So I try and see the younger version of me, the person I call Rusty. I try to see his eyes. I see what he's wearing. I really just try and in my mind's eye, like make a commitment to seeing him. 
and just creating that vision in my mind's eye of my younger self and also asking myself, how old am I? How old am I in this version of me that I'm creating? Do I go back to the same kind of age? For me, I kind of go back to around 10 years old. That's usually the place where I, when you say, imagine your younger self, that's usually where I'll go, about 10 years old. I do go back to younger places as well. But in general, that's kind of my default position. And, and I have a bit of a theory that your default position is probably the point where you experienced a significant amount of trauma just by the way the amygdala works and the insula and, and the anterior cingulate and these, these places in our brain that kind of encode pain. It's the same kind of thing like where were you uh, at 9-11? Where were you when there was something happening that was major in the world? There is something in our brains that kind of sears that into our memory and into our existence in a way. And we go back to that, that place. So I try and see myself at different ages and just see. I don't have to do anything with it. I just try and see him. What's he doing? Is he happy? Is he walking to school? What's happening to him? And just, I know this is rather ethereal. There's really not a whole lot of like how to to this, but this is kind of what I do. And I think everybody's different. I think you just look at what did I look like when I was younger? And can I imagine, what was I wearing? I used to, I used to have these bell-bottom jeans that were multicolored, you know, in the 70s because I was, you know, a teenager in the 70s. And just imagining those pants and, you know, just the guts it took to wear, to wear those pants because they weren't, they weren't that popular. And I fixated on those pants and wore them for years. But just what was happening? When you go back to your younger self and you see them, you actually get a picture in your mind's eye because 70% of your brain is devoted to, to your visual system. And even if your eyes are closed and you're imagining seeing something, your visual cortex, the back part of your brain, lights up. So it's still active even though your eyes are closed, even though your, your reference is dark because your eyes are closed, your visual cortex is still going. So what did you look like back then? And maybe did you like that person? Did you not like them? Now we get into that a little later as I go on to the, the should acronym. The next one is here. So S is for C, H is for here. What do they say? Do they ever talk to you? If you talk to them, do they ever say anything back to you? And I, I have a varied reaction with my patients. Some people say, yes, they will talk right back to me. Other people say it took months before I heard anything from the younger version of me. Sometimes what I will do is, is I'll do what I, what I call commiserating. So I'll say to him, it must have been really hard for you when your dad would be really depressed and be in the bedroom and just not interact with you at all. Must have been really hard for you for that. And some of my other patients, you know, they'll say to themselves, it must have been really hard for you when your mother ignored you or your, when your mother commented on your weight. Like, try and find something that has some emotional salience or resonance with you 
and then ask the child after you see them, what was that like for you? What was it like when your mother had to go to work at six in the morning and you had to get up and, and get shuffled off to the babysitter, which happened to me? <laughs> Still dark days for me. What happened? How did you feel? And then wait, and then wait. And like I said, you may get an answer. And then, and then we don't know. We don't know if it's really them answering us or it's us thinking what they would say. But I think the more you do this practice of, of really making the intention to see them and hear them, what are they saying to you? What is it that they are that they would say to you to a responsible, loving, caring adult if they had the chance. Because maybe they did at that time in their life have a loving, caring adult, and maybe they didn't. So maybe you're it. So the next thing is to open up to them because so often we have so much judgment on ourselves as children. Like if you were neglected or you were bullied, if you were bullied... There's, I read something a while ago that said, you know, there's part of us when we're bullied as children that actually agrees with the bullies, that actually agrees with them because it makes sense that they're teasing us. I used to have this facial tick. My daughter had the same thing when she was younger and I would get teased for this facial tick. It's kind of like a Tourette's thing. And I would get really mad at myself because I couldn't stop this tick. But... <laughs> When I would get nervous and they would tease me, I the tick would, would become more active and they would tease me more. And in my mind, I'm going, why can't you stop doing this? And it was neurological. It wasn't psych. I'm sure there was probably a psychological influence somewhere, but it was neurological. So I blamed myself for many years for not being able to stop that when really I couldn't. So what do we blame ourselves for as children? Can you open to that child's pain? Can you start to connect with them? Can you say to them, it must have been really hard for you when you were hit or you were abused or neglected or abandoned or, or had to grow up too soon, had to be the man or the woman of the house too soon. It must have been really hard for you. And then open up. Hear what they say. Open up to them. And just allow this fertile, welcoming place that they can share that with you. And this is hard. This is not easy. This connecting with the younger version of you is how you heal. But it's also, you know, I have a picture in my book of the dragon on top of the treasure. And the dragon is overcoming this fear of going back to that child, that bullied child, that child that was hit or hurt or abused somehow. And going back to them, it's very difficult to do that. But the only way we actually get to the root cause of the problem is to connect with that younger version of us. And I've said this before, anxiety is a result of the adult self and the child self in you being separated and your mind and your body being separated. So when we can bring the adult self and the child self back together and we can do other things like breath work, maybe yoga, something that brings the mind and the body back together, you stand the best chance of healing. So see the child, hear the child, be open to the child. And then try to understand what they were going through. 
understand how they had to develop this reactive self, this maybe this people pleaser or maybe aggressive, how they had to react under the situation of their childhood. Can you understand that they maybe became violent, that they maybe became depressed, maybe became anxious? Can you understand that that would be a natural reaction to not getting their needs met and just being a sensitive child? Can you understand them and make the intention, I will understand, understand you? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to blame you. I'm not going to shame you. You guys know my JABS uh, acronym. We're not full of acronyms today. But can you understand? And almost tell them, like, I am going to try to understand your experience. Because often we don't want to go back there. We don't want to go back and visit that child because the child <laughs> holds all our pain. And that's why anxiety comes from this place of separation. All anxiety is separation anxiety. That's what Gordon Neufeld said. And, and then I add, and it's mostly separation from yourself. So when you split that adult and that child and, the, and your mind from your body, when you go into stressful times and you don't want to feel your body, which is basically the, the remnant of your younger self, when you push that pain away, you're also pushing the child away. And when you push the child away, the child just gets more alarmed and you get more anxiety in the alarm anxiety cycle. So making that intention, I am going to try to understand you. Non-judgmentally, just see what happened, especially for kids that were, were bullied or ne neglected. Like understand what you went through, what that child went through, and add the compassion to that understanding in your intention so that they can come out to you so that they can trust you because they probably don't trust you because you've been <laughs> ignoring them for years. This is what was happening with me is that the younger version of me didn't want to open up to me because it didn't trust that I wasn't going to stay around. I was going to leave again because I have left my child a number of times, not knowing, just in the name of avoiding pain and avoiding their pain, I, I avoided them. And when you separate from a child, when that child feels that separation, of course, they're going to get alarmed. Of course, their, their alarm is going to go through the roof. And then when their alarm goes up, you know, we shut off the rational part of our brain. We shut off the connected, loving part of our brain. We shut off our social engagement system, which works to connect us to other people, but also works to connect us to ourselves. So when you see, hear, open up and understand and make the intention to understand that child, you create this sort of healing place where you can open up to love, which is the next letter in the acronym, funnily enough. And loving your child is hard because we often unconsciously see them as holding our pain. So when we love them, just like when I loved my father and he would go psychotic or depressed or, or whatever the psychosis of the day was, I would not trust that after a while. So I would withdraw love from my father because it just hurt too much to see him in pain. And I think on some level, that kind of happens to us. We withdraw from the child in us because it just hurts too much to acknowledge that pain. But unless we acknowledge that pain, unless we go back and see, hear, open up, understand, love, 
and then defend that child, protect that child. Because often the child in us wasn't protected because our parents were too busy with their own shit. They didn't have time. Or, you know, in the case of maybe bullying or being rejected or whatever, you don't want to admit to your parents that things are happening negatively at school or uh, at your sports team or whatever, because it it's shameful. And we don't want to, we don't want to have to address that. But often it's because the parents aren't seen as a safe place. They're not seen as someone who can really see us, hear us, love us, protect us. And we ostracize that child. And when we ostracize that child, we separate from it. We separate from it. We create more alarm. And alarm is at the foundation of anxiety and depression and OCD and eating disorders and all of that stuff. Starts with alarm. So to heal the alarm, we connect with that child. We show them that they're seen, heard, loved, and understood. We see them, hear them, open to them, understand them, love them, and defend them. It's important that they know that they are protected because at the time, they didn't feel protected. They lost faith in the world. They started feeling, at least my child started feeling like they were on their own and everything was up to him. Everything was up to him to fix it. Now, I did quite well uh, becoming a doctor and and an author and a comedian and all that. So I sublimated that energy quite well, but I was still anxious as hell. <laughs> Even though I was uh, successful in my careers, I was still anxious. Like I still lived every morning in anxious pain. I would wake up every day in alarm, every single day. There wasn't a day I can't remember, I can remember uh, especially when I was a practicing physician, that I didn't wake up in alarm. And really, it was just the younger version of me kind of saying, hey, I'm going to get louder here. I'm going to create more and more alarm until you see me, hear me, <laughs> open to me, understand me, love me, and defend me. And that's how we heal. That's how we come across to that younger version of ourselves. We show them that they are seen, heard, loved, and protected. We show them that they're seen, heard, open to, understood, loved, and defended. When we do that, we start creating this internal connection rather than this internal disconnection. When we connect with ourselves, we reactivate that social engagement system that allows us to soothe ourselves. And that's how we heal. And I'll see you next time. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if the Anxiety Rx podcast resonates with you, consider getting my book, also coincidentally called Anxiety Rx. Or you can follow me on any of the social media platforms at The Anxiety MD or my website, www.theanxietymd.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you the next time on the Anxiety Rx podcast.